Welcome to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez, the podcast that offers practical advice and tips on how to run and grow your small business. The How of Business helps aspiring entrepreneurs and small business owners achieve their definition of success and overcome challenges that get in their way. This podcast series focuses on the everyday common business issues, challenges, and opportunities that face the small business owner. So here now are your hosts of The How of Business, David and Henry. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez and... David Begin. David's with me here today. So That's amazing. Yeah, we haven't talked in a while. You've been a busy little beaver on the other side of the podcasting world. Right. Our listeners might be thinking, what do you mean? Because we've scheduled out the episodes such that we have released a couple of episodes here recently where you and I have both been on. But what the listeners don't know is we recorded those quite some time ago. And I've been busy recording lots of interviews by myself. So this is the first uh, recording that we've done together in quite some time. So, yeah, yeah, we got to catch up. It's summertime right now. Henry is about to send his daughter off to college. So, yes, yes. He's going to be an emotional basket case here in a few weeks. That's right. So, between that and the topic of this episode, I may need some. (laughs) Might need some. Record this episode. Might need some therapy, but it's good. This is going to be a good discussion. I think it's one we're all afraid of, but it's something if you're going to go out in the world and make some. make some endeavors you've got to be aware of it and think about it so that's right so what are we going to talk about this episode is about failure and specifically we're going to share with our listeners the story of our most recent business failure it's a big topic it's one uh, that i've been anxious to talk about excited but at the same time i know this is going to be depressing now for our listeners i don't want you to tune out right away because i this is as you said david This is part of being an entrepreneur. This is part of being a small business owner is that we will have failures. And as we're told and as we have learned the hard way, it's how you respond to those failures that really defines not just your yourself and your character, but what success you end up having as a business owner. Yeah, yeah, it's a very real part of it. And unfortunately, a lot of people, when you read materials out there, listen to people you know, the whole idea is to put that out of your mind, but that's not realistic or is it helpful? So we're going to give you some examples from our experience that we just had, plus uh, some other people's uh, impressions of failure. Yeah, I, I took on a kind of a motto way back or, or way of thinking way back early in my business career that I plan to succeed, but I prepare to fail because of the realities of failing. And so let me set the context of the specific failure, recent failure that we're going to share and dissect a bit and talk about. And that is uh, related to our self-serve frozen yogurt business called I Top It, of which we had until just recently two locations in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And so we opened this business. We opened the first location, which we still have and is a successful location in Colorado Springs back in 2011. And at the time, the reason we chose the Colorado Springs market was twofold. One, you were there uh, as my partner in your businesses and living there, and there were no other self-serve frozen yogurt shops in Colorado at the time. It was a a concept that was emerging and exploding in other markets, including here where I live in the Dallas area. It was a concept that came over from Asia, uh, particularly Korea, South Korea, and emerged in California, Southern California, and spread from there. And by the time I came to this concept, as I remember very clearly, my daughter kept talking about this new place that her friends, her parents, and her friend had taken her to called Yogurt Land. And so I went to it nearby here in a nearby suburb, and I thought, wow, this is interesting, a completely different approach to ice cream and treats, even though it was yogurt, but it was just a completely different concept. And what was different about it is the self-serve component. So we launched on that business. We opened our first location and then decided to open right at the same time or two months later, a second location. And that second location is the one that has failed. And we have decided just recently to shut down. So that's what we're going to talk about is that experience, how we got there, why we decided to close it and the emotional components of dealing with that failure. So just wanted to set the context on what we're talking about. So let's get right into it. And I want to start with the emotional side of it. 
the process of failure, David. We have read lots from others. It, it's something that gets talked about and printed about, written about all the time, is this concept of failure being something that we learn from, failure being good and that we, we take from it and we learn the most in times of failure. And so I, I buy into that. However, when it happens, like it just did for us in this case, it goes back for me to all of those deep-seated beliefs and uh, emotions and so embarrassment and a sense of utter failure and a lack of confidence surface because I'm taking back to childhood and early adulthood when I was indoctrinated by different inputs to believe failure was the ultimate bad thing. So all of that resurfaces, even though I'm mature enough now as a business owner and as a person to know that I'm going to get through it and that I will learn from it, it still hurts uh, just as bad. Sure, yeah. Yeah, there's certainly an emotional component. to it. It's a loss of sorts. So just as you might lose, you know, you might lose a loved one, uh, you're getting, you might get divorced. You know, it's, it's the same type of loss. So you've got to be ready and understand that you're going to experience a lot of the same feelings you would as if you grieve um, because, you know, you've put a lot of time, energy, and effort, and in some cases money into it. And it just didn't work out. So there's going to be the emotional component to it. And so we had this business open for about five years. Is that correct, Henry? That's about right. Five years. And, just, about, and, just about precisely. That was the length of the lease that we signed. Yeah. And so when did you feel like it was probably not going to work? Uh, how far into it did you feel like, well, maybe this isn't what we thought it was going to be? By year two. By year two? Really? And we had I, that- I gave it to year three and a half, four. <laughs> <laughs> so. By year two, the signals were not good. However, we we were certainly at that point not going to pull the plug on it. We were fortunate, just to further set the context, that we never had to put money, additional money back into it per se. We, We kind of borrowed money from the other location. So we didn't have to put any new money into this business overall. So I think that helped uh, us prolong it maybe or or deal with it and we certainly wanted to honor as if at all possible our lease commitment and that's what we ended up doing yeah yeah but i i I thought maybe something was going to turn around maybe it was you know some businesses take time to grow so i thought well you know we've got some time here maybe as people find us and pick up then you know our audience will grow there so I, i gave it a little bit more time yeah, and then I gave you a flippant answer there. I, certainly, the numbers started to go bad after year one. But in, in all reality, it's it was twenty uh, end of twenty fourteen and last year because we set a, a mark saying that if last summer summer is our is our high season, our busy season for this business, and so we knew we were approaching end of lease going into last calendar year. And when I didn't see those numbers the way we wanted to see them as far as growth goes last year, that's when I thought, okay, uh, now we have to have that really hard conversation, which we had at the end of last year when we were about six to seven months out from the end of our lease. So that that's when really the reality hit for me was last summer. Yeah. So that was, you know, it's difficult. I think there's no other way to put it. And I you always go back and ask yourself what you could have done differently, but I think there's very few times, if you think about times in your life where you gave everything to an endeavor, whether it's a sports endeavor or taking a test in school, and you did everything you could, you know in your heart, your bottom of your heart, that you did everything you could to make something work or make it successful, and then you failed at it, there's is there many times in your life that you can go back and think about something like that? I mean, I, I don't, most times I always go back and think, oh, I could have put a little bit more effort into it or tried a little better, or steady harder. But when you really try your best and then something doesn't work out, I think that is one of the most emotional, gut-wrenching feelings you can have. No, it is. And for me personally, if I think back to uh, childhood and early adulthood, my association with it is then being the input that I got, whether it was from my father or others, was it's on you. You, you, you did wrong. You, you failed. You should be embarrassed. At least that's the way I, I took it. In other words, 
Early on in life, I did not take failure as a learning opportunity. Well, of course it was, just because whether I like it or not, it was. You learn from failures. But it was not something I was comfortable with nor wanted to experience on any regular basis. And so, as a result, which is, I think, certainly up there with the, in the fear category of why people don't go into business to begin with, is we want to avoid that kind of level of failure at all costs. At least I know I felt that way. Right. And you and I grew up in an era where... You know, you could be labeled a failure in school when you and I went to school. And, I, you know, I don't know if it's a big surprise to anybody, but I didn't do well in school because I had all types of OCD or ADD issues or, you know, I was pretty distracted. But, you know, you were labeled a failure. That was actually a name that people would call you. And it would typically be done by authority figures who were teachers to say you're a failure. I, I can remember growing up being called a failure and that was used as a label, and it was not a great label. Nope. Yep. And so I don't see that as much today, thank goodness. I wish some kids nowadays would, you know, somebody would say, hey, you're failing. <laughs> but, um, you know, but they, it was used in a real derogatory term. And I'm sure, you know, as you're imprinting as a child, you say, well, I can never be a failure. That's right. And then if we move into our corporate experience, our sales experience, boy, talk about an environment where failure was not well received. I mean, it could mean the difference between you keeping your job or not. So there was so much pressure on winning uh, and a failure in that environment was not getting a sale, for example, or doing poorly in a demonstration or failing to be prepared or failing to answer an RFP as effectively as you could. All those things, there was just failure was not something that was looked at as well. Good. You know, you put in your best effort, Henry, and at least you learn from that. That wasn't my experience. Right, right. So, you know, the bottom line of all this is just tough. I mean, there's an emotional component to it. You need to be prepared for it and you need to let it run its course. I mean, there's going to be good days and bad days. And when I drive up Powers Boulevard here, I try not to look over at the shopping center where our store used to be located. And, you know, that'll get better one day. I'll go over there and, you know, pick something up at the Safeway, which was next to us. But right now, I don't want to go over there. It's still pretty fresh. We're about a month into this. So it's still pretty fresh for us. And of course, it helps that we have our first location still. So this, in, the business in entirety is not dead. In fact, our first location is doing extremely well, uh, relatively speaking. So that that helps, right? If we had to shut down the business completely and altogether, which, to be honest, we gave some thought, that probably would be worse for me. No, I agree. And, and you and I have a lot of other things to be very grateful for. We have other sources of income. We have other endeavors so if this was the only thing that we had to do and we were dependent on the income, which we were not, which was, you know, again, a blessing, uh, this would have been much more devastating to us. So let's talk a little bit more about, and I'm going to kind of change the order a little bit of how I had the uh, topics lined up, but I want to talk a little bit more about the points you rose about the data points that we considered, the things that we looked, measured that helped us make the decision. And we talked about it at a high level as we looked at sales. But certainly, that's the obvious one, right? Uh, sales, we had a phenomenal first year when competition wasn't what it then became. The market changed on us to an extent, although that's not the only reason we'll come back to that. But we looked at sales numbers. We looked at profitability. We looked at number of customers. And all of those things were negative and continue to be negative, although it did tend to level off. But as I the analogy I like to use, we were an airplane on a really steep dive into the ocean. We were able to kind of taper off that dive, but we were still going to crash and burn at some point if it continued. And I didn't see anything. I couldn't forecast that it was going to improve. And then the thing that was the impending event was, do we extend the lease or not? Do we commit to another five years at that location. Was there anything I'm missing that we looked at that were data points? No, I think those are kind of the, those are good data points. And I think the metrics we decided to use gave us, because it was a struggle for us to sit down and decide whether we should close it or keep it open. You and I had, you know, hours and hours of discussions on it. And I think we finally had to come to the point where we said, let's look at these three or four metrics. If these metrics aren't showing any sign of improvement, then you know, we need to consider closing it. 
And if we had like out of the four metrics, if we would have saw two of them, you know, turning around, like maybe the average cup size or the number of customers coming, but you know, the, the average cup sale was increasing or something was decreasing, then maybe we would have considered it. But I think all four metrics in this particular case were, were not, uh, were not showing positive signs. So I think that was smart. It was good. We gave ourselves some benchmarks and that helped make the decision for us. And so a quick comment on that is as an aside, that's one of the benefits in a small business of making sure you are measuring and maintaining your KPIs, your metrics, those key numbers, because otherwise all you're left with is what does the bank account look like and kind of what is the feeling, which is important and it comes into the process, but having those numbers, being able to look at how we were doing same period versus the year before and the year before that, that really helped to see what the numbers were telling us because the numbers don't lie. I think a process that helped us a lot is as we were going through this, it was still a difficult decision point. And I came to you and said, okay, if you had to make a decision today, what would you do? And kind of forcing us to say, if I had to make a decision today, this is what I would do, to me helped prompted us and helped us get prepared for maybe making the ultimate decision. Right. And you asked that question various times. We asked it at the end of 2014 as we were starting to have these discussions. Then we asked it at the beginning of summer. And I said, all right, right now, this is the way I would vote. Let me get through summer. And then we asked it again at the end of summer last year. And so we asked that question of ourselves at various points in time. And it, and it, it varied a little bit early on, but then it became pretty consistent in it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, your personality, much more to mine, I was still very optimistic, but I think you were very optimistic that we could fix this. And you want to talk, speak to that, because I think that's an important component of anybody who's an entrepreneur. They're, they're naturally optimistic about what they're doing and what they think the results are going to be. And how does that blind you to reality? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's what makes us entrepreneurs and makes us take the leap to begin with is a confidence that I can fix it, that I can figure out a way, a desire to say, you know, I just haven't worked hard enough. I just haven't figured it out. There's an answer out there. And if I just do more of this or more of that or try this other thing or this other marketing thing, we will figure this out. So it comes from this arrogance and confidence in thinking I'm going to make this work. And so the, the numbers help with that, I will tell you, because the numbers are that when I would look at the numbers, I would say, okay, but it's not showing up in the numbers and the numbers don't lie. And so that, that helps to balance that confidence or uh, blinding myself to, to being just, I don't know, just uh, unrealistic about what was really happening. Right, right. So I got to mention one more thing about the emotional component of this. So as we were closing the shop, we decided to auction off our equipment. Henry was conveniently vacationing in Hawaii. I want everybody to know as this was happening. <laughs> so, plus, plus, I don't live there. <laughs> I, I haven't seen the, uh, the demise premises yet. That's right. So, uh, so I kind of had to deal with it. And most of it was okay. I, you know, there was some real emotion among employees. And our manager was very upset. She felt like she had failed, which she had not. It wasn't her issue necessarily. But the most difficult part of this was the auction and having people come and get your stuff and having your competitors buy your equipment at 10 to 15 cents on the dollar, that was probably the most most difficult. That was probably the most emotionally difficult part of this because, you know, your ego's wrapped up in it and you almost feel like, yeah, you won, I lost, come get my stuff. Yeah, if I would have been there, which I'm glad I was not, I'll be there at some point here this fall to peek in there. I would have just been devastated by feeling, look at what we created. We put so much effort and energy and love into creating the space, and we spent a lot of money, which yeah, perhaps yeah. is an error. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. And so to see that get torn down, it's, it's, a, it's hard. It's a hard blow. I'm glad yeah. I was not there, and I'm glad you took care of that. Yeah, it was tough, and you watch people taking things out. So we, we bought these really great ceiling fixtures you know, that were pretty expensive, <laughs> And these people are just ripping it out of the ceiling, you know, and they're ripping out your benches. And it's just like, oh, my goodness, you know, you took so such time, energy and effort to create it and then to maintain it and to see what's happening. So I, the reason why we're sharing this with you is I want you to know that, uh, you know, these things happen. This is this is part of it. And to feel bad and to grieve is, is a natural part of 
you know, ending. So, you know, things start and things end. And uh, unfortunately, this ended sooner than, than we wanted it to. The other thing that was hard is this was not a business where we were having to put in, as I mentioned, new money. So, so that made it hard because you start to wonder as a business owner, and I think this is one of the hardest decisions a business owner has to make, is this whole thing, when, when, do I not, when do I stop throwing good money after bad, I think is the saying, although we weren't putting in more money. But we were concerned that if we signed another five-year lease, you had asked me another hard question that we asked ourselves, do I think we're going to reach a point within that next five years where we would have to put in new money? And that, that makes it a whole different situation. And I couldn't answer that question with confidence and say, definitely, we're, we're going to turn this around. We're not going to have to put any more new money into this business over the next five years. I could not answer in the affirmative, and that was one of the decision points for me anyway. Yeah, and I agree with that. I, that's what was my concern is we didn't, we didn't see any metric that looked like it was turning around. We, we didn't have any hope. There was nothing there other than the dive that we were taking toward the ocean was slightly leveling off. <laughs> that was yeah. about it. Yeah. But, you know, you got to go through a gratitude exercise, too, so – Many, many people nowadays talk about the importance of gratitude and you've got to think about, okay, what what went what, what well? And we were very grateful that we didn't have to put more money into it. We were very, very grateful we had the money to put into it in the first place. You know, make sure you go through that gratitude exercise of what went well and, and be thankful for, for what did take place. The customers that came loved it. They loved what we did. Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, that was one of my or the tone really of uh, the letter that we wrote to our employees as we announced that we were closing that location. And, and it was to the point of an effect of it, this is not your fault. You, you helped us do what we set out to do, which is to deliver remarkable customer service on a consistent basis. And we did that. We, we won at that. We achieved that. Now we put this product out there on the market and it wasn't received the way that we had hoped, but that doesn't mean that we failed at creating the environment we wanted to create. In fact, we excelled at that, and we continue to excel at it at our first location that continues to operate. And so that that's what we try, try to take from it. We learned a lot. We learned how to do this thing of delivering consistently remarkable customer service. We proved that it can be done in an environment like this with hourly wage employees, and so those are some of the things that I take away from it. Yeah, yeah. And you had a good question here where you said, we believed that our differentiator was going to be remarkable customer service. We were going to outperform the other guys, which I think we did. Uh, if I look at, you know, going to other locations versus ours, I felt like ours was far and above better than everyone else. And we also got that feedback from our customers. They loved our place. They loved coming to our place. And the question that you wrote down here was, was that enough of a differentiator to make a difference? That was our assumption. Do you think it was? It was my, it was one of my assumptions. And, and I knew going into it that that was a weak assumption. We, we knew certainly enough about business even at that point. It wasn't that long ago. We had been in business prior to that. That when you make that the, the, the differentiator, that's, that's hard to, to prove in the market. And so I was worried about it from the start, but nonetheless, obviously confident enough to move forward. Now I've come to learn, that's probably one of my biggest takeaways, is now in subsequent businesses, if that's the only thing I think is my differentiator, I'm going to proceed with a lot more caution than I would have back in 2011. Right, right. And I would agree with that. It's when you're in somewhat of a commodity business, so we didn't make food, so it was hard for us to differentiate our enchilada plate from somebody else's you know i think that's what people would do in the restaurant industry but so as people were the advantage of people making it themselves the disadvantage also is for the most part it didn't look much different than someone else you know the environment was good the way the, the employees treated customers were good we kept a very clean place even the guy that was doing the auction came in and said this is the best looking yogurt shop i've seen and you know it's kind of like the the Grim Reaper is complimenting you on your, on your uh, shop as you're leaving. But at the end of the day, the product we delivered, it was very difficult to differentiate. Very difficult. 
Yeah, and this is what's hard when you build a brick and mortar business is you have to, for the most part, although we'll talk about this point about where we might have done some things differently, but for the most part, you can't iterate with a brick and mortar business like you can with other types of businesses, an online business, a software business, right? I, I have to have it fairly close to done when I open my doors. Uh, sure, could we have spent less? Uh, absolutely, we'll talk about that. But the point is that I, I developed this concept or obviously didn't create it, we, we copied this concept and we put it out there. But when I put it out there, I had to put in my full investment and then open the doors and hope that they will come, right? Right, right. And I think our personality is such that when we do things, and there are a lot of business owners that will open a business and just be an investor and not really care about it. And they're fine with that. And I've struggled with that here recently on some other businesses that I own. Can I step away and let somebody else hire a manager to run it and not really put a lot of time, energy, and effort into it? And for better or for worse, you and I are just not wired like that. So percentage-wise, we're not going to talk specific dollars, but percentage-wise, how much less could we have spent in finishing out this space and still have delivered the same product and service? You know, I think maybe maybe a quarter to a third. Which is significant. Right, right. We, I mean, we, we went over the top. I mean, I think we spent, and I loved it. I loved doing what we did, and I was proud of it, but we spent some money on it. I think one of the failure points in this overall business is the capital expense. I think if you compare it to an ice cream shop, it would be much less expensive for us to open an ice cream shop than a yogurt shop. And the reason why is the machines are so expensive. And if you want to give variety, we had eight machines. And I think the machines at the time we bought them were about 16000 a piece. So that was a, that was a pretty significant cost to the business just, just to get started. So if we were doing it all over again, we would spend less on the finish out. We maybe might do six machines instead of eight machines. We, we certainly could still have put together a great shop and still have delivered the great customer service, but not have spent as much up front. Not spent as much up front, and then it would have made a little bit of money, and then the decision probably would have been a little harder to decide whether we would have closed in five years or not. But there's a concept out there right now called when you create a company – and this is typically for software, you need to come up with your MVP. And the MVP is the minimum viable product. So the idea now is to develop something, get it on the marketplace, and then let the customers tell you where to take it from there. But instead of building out the, the best or the perfect solution, build out something that's good enough, and then go from there. And so that's, that's an interesting concept, one I think about a lot now. And, and we didn't take that approach, for better or for worse. We just decided to, Okay, but know. my problem with that, my struggle with that is I don't know exactly how that applies to a brick-and-mortar location like a restaurant. I know how it applies to a software solution, a virtual company, a consulting company, but I don't know how I completely apply that to a restaurant. So I don't think we would have spent the money on the finish out like we did. So I think we would have backed off that quite a bit. Like you and I put in ceilings and... Most of our competitors don't have ceilings. You and I put in nice tile on the floor. Most of our competitors just you know, ground down the concrete and let the floors concrete. We probably wouldn't have put some of the fixtures we bought in there and made it a little smaller. So we could have saved some money in those areas. I don't know how much we could have saved and if it would have made any difference. But you know, this was still a new concept. I think the other part of this was we didn't have any proven track record to go back and say, you know, Mexican restaurants, for example, have been in business for 30 years. They're viable. People like to go to them. We're just going to create something different. This was still a new market. It was a new idea. And I think most people who had gone into it, and even the big guys, the big franchisees, uh, franchisors, I'm sorry, didn't really know uh, whether this was going to be long, you know, viable long term. And we've seen some of those stores close as well. So uh, there was a couple things, I think, in the market that were working against us that we we just never really we never really questioned whether we thought this thing could be viable long term we just assumed it was going to be and I, I think the market you know i think the overall market is the settling out you know the people are kind of getting to that five year point in the industry and you're hearing of different stores that are closing now right and to to speak to that a bit more that that was certainly one of the things that happened to us so as i mentioned at the outset we were the first location in all of colorado springs and within two years I, 
don't remember the numbers specifically, but there were our two units and probably an additional 10 units serving Colorado Springs, meaning 10 other self-serve frozen yogurt shops in a market that I think maybe can support five, four or five, yeah, something in yeah. that range. Mm-hmm. There, there was definitely at least twice as many as the market can support, especially ongoing once the fad aspect of it wore off. And so that was our challenge. And now looking back, we, we knew this looking back, but it's something that I look at more seriously now, either when I advise clients who are looking to start a business or as we think of new opportunities, is this whole concept of what is your competitor's barrier to entry into the same space? And this business, the challenge it had and has is that it's a relatively low barrier to entry, meaning that a lot of people, a broader uh, group of people can afford what it takes to open one of these. It doesn't take anything special as far as space goes. You can go into a small footprint. So the barrier to entry is low and hence why we saw so many of them pop up so quickly. Yeah, and it's a relatively easy business. So if you compare the other businesses I have with this one, it takes about a tenth of my time because it's pretty straightforward. There's no food preparation necessarily. So people who think they want to get into the business and look at it versus owning a restaurant or other types of businesses, it per- the perception is it's pretty easy to operate. Yeah, And so that's another thing that I take away, another lesson that I take away from this failure. We talked about one already, which is, do we would we have spent as much upfront as we did so that whole concept of iterating or the um, what is the MVP approach to developing a, a service or a product or a business. And then this consideration of what is the barrier to entry is important. For example, you're in the car wash business and we're looking at perhaps opening a third one. The advantage there is it, it's so hard to find a piece of land that works and then a location that's going to allow it and so forth that the, the bad news is it takes a long time and a lot of effort and a lot of knowledge to find a great location. The good news is you're unlikely to have five people pop up around you, right? Right, exactly, exactly. It's one of those businesses where people wash their car on a winter day and there's a long line. And they go, I got to get me one of these. Yeah. But they don't realize all the, the effort it takes to get one and then to run them. I mean, it is very complicated. It's a very complicated business. There's a lot of moving parts to it. And if you want to run it well, you know, it's, it's going to be a challenge. If you want to have a marginal business, it's going to be pretty easy. I remember a sales guy that we used to work with told me that sales can be the easiest, low-paying job you ever have or it can be the most difficult, highest-paying job you ever had. And I think that goes with businesses as well. Yeah. So that was a, that's a big takeaway, and that's something that people need to consider as they're starting a business. It's something certainly that we, I think, overlooked or didn't consider strongly enough or didn't really – imagine that people would jump into this space so quickly and we'd have so much competition. So let's let's talk about another takeaway, which is location. (laughs) And so I hate the cliche or is it location, 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 but unfortunately it's so true when it comes obviously to a brick and mortar business. You, You choose a location and then it's not like you can pack up and move a week later if it turns out not to be what you wanted, right? You're committed, you're stuck there. You've got a lease commitment. So what did we miss in selecting the location now, looking back at it? That's the one I shake my head at more than anything else, because we really thought this location was going to eclipse our first one because where it was. It was in the middle of a shopping center. It was a couple stores down from a very busy Safeway. Um, And we were just totally convinced, man, this thing's going to be a home run site and it's going to be awesome. But for some reason, it just was not. And... I think what we missed was being we were there was there was a big anchor on the north end. There was a Safeway in the middle, and surrounded by a lot of different. And at the south end was a was a brand name uh, bagel shop, for example. And so in between that was just a lot of mom and pop type stores. And for some reason, we just didn't people just didn't see us. I was still amazed how many people say that they shop there all the time at the Safeway and they didn't know we were there. So for some reason, we didn't get seen in this row of stores and we got lost in the mix. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, and we tried all kinds of different things. We we put coupons on the register tape at Safeway. We passed out samples in the parking lot. We put up 
sandwich board signs almost on the road to get people to notice us. We put in a neon sign. We we did everything, all kinds of things to try to get people's attention. But it's interesting how in hindsight, when I stand there now, it's like, oh, yeah, I see what's happening. People go in or out one end, whether they're going to the Coles, they go in and out of that end. If they're going to the Einstein's Bagel or the Safeway, they go in and out that end. And if they're passing through the middle where I am, they're just looking to make sure they don't run into anybody. Yeah. Right? There's a lot of pedestrian traffic. There's a lot like, of pedestrian traffic yeah. and carts and people coming and going. And so I think that it's a, a demolition derby to get through there. They're not looking to see, oh, look, what is that itopic thing? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we passed up sites that were in smaller shopping centers. But my big concern was there was not enough parking. Yeah. So we were just concerned that... Uh, you know, hey, there's got to be enough parking and people built in those very same areas we passed up and have done well. So that was an assumption I made was parking is very, very important. And, you know, looking back, maybe it's not so important. Listen, this whole topic of location is such a big one. I have this discussion with many of my clients that I help in starting a business. And uh, in fact, it brings to mind someone I worked with late last year. They were open, looking to open a retail location, and he had gotten frustrated with how long, quote, unquote, it was taking. It had only been a couple of months, and I chuckled and advised them that this is a process that you want to make sure you spend as much time on as possible, and even then, you may not get it right. This is one of those risks. The thing I come back to on this topic, and it relates to the whole broader topic of failure that helps me, is I say, you know what? There are bigger, smarter, more resource-laden organizations that make this same mistake on a daily basis. From Starbucks to McDonald's to Burger King, they also make location mistakes. So who am I to think with my limited experience and resources that I'm not going to be susceptible to the same mistakes? And so that helps me kind of put it in perspective. Yeah, yeah. And you told me that quite a bit as we were going through this process and um, getting back to some things about failure, I think one, Seth Godin had a really good saying that helped me through this quite a bit, that you can do everything you can to try to create a successful business, but at the end of the day, the customer determines whether it's going to be successful, not you. Yeah, and the bottom line is not enough customers were buying what we were selling. And that's, that's right. That's the bottom line. And the customers that we did have were great. They loved what we did. They appreciated it. We just... Couldn't get enough in the door. Yeah, and we're fortunate for those customers. We were able to serve them. A lot of those folks are now going to our initial location, and, and we're really glad and excited about that. Right, right. But getting back to the subject of failure, Henry, what um, you know, what are some takeaways you would want to give entrepreneurs about failure and how to think about it? I, I think that uh, not sure precisely how to answer the question because it's such a complex thing. I think that what it what I feel is that I have evolved over time at better dealing with failure. I had to face it head on, of course, when I first went into business and then really face it head on when it became the exclusive source of my income. And But I think it's been an evolutionary process. You have to get over that initial hurdle for those of who are listening, who have not yet made the leap, but are contemplating opening a business. This is the big obstacle. This is the big one. Besides, we've talked about this in a previous episode. There are two types of failure, in my opinion. There is the real financial failure and the fear of that. In other words, I've, I'm going to put a second mortgage on my house. I'm going to tap my 401k. I'm using all of my savings. And if I lose all of that, I put my family in serious and real financial jeopardy. That's, that's a one type of fear. The second type of fear, which is mostly what we're talking about here, because as you alluded to, we're fortunate that this failure does not ruin us financially, right? We're very fortunate in that regard. So this failure for us, well, trust me, I'm not happy to have lost that money uh, by any stretch of the imagination. However, that's not the real failure. The real failure that I'm dealing with is the emotional side of it the embarrassment side of it, because there still is some of that, even as much as I might try to tell myself that it doesn't. And it's embarrassment not with the public at large, it is with the people that I respect, the people who I, who I, whose opinion I value. Uh, it's an embarrassment personally. It's a, it's a reflection on, I really thought I had created something here that was going to succeed. So it makes me question my abilities. It, it, uh, it affects my confidence. Now, not enough, however, 
because of where I'm at in my evolution as a business owner, not enough to in any way deter me from continuing to seek new ventures, new business opportunities, and continue to be a business owner. But that's because I've been at this for a while. And if this, and it did happen to me earlier, it certainly was more devastating back then. So I don't know if I've answered your question, but that's how I feel about it. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. And I think we, we did sort of count the downside. So uh, Tim Ferriss, if you've not listened to Tim Ferriss's podcast, they're outstanding. But he was interviewed. Uh, he did kind of an interview session at Google a week or two ago. And somebody asked him, what are some of the characteristics of the most successful people that you've interviewed? And one of the characteristics was they manage the downside. So they look at, you know, most of us think, okay, we got to be opt- blindly optimistic about our opportunity. And that blind optimism is going to create passion. It's going to make us work hard and and everything's going to be okay, the people who are most successful are the ones that look at the downside. So they manage their downside risk, and they said, what, how much can I afford to lose on this particular endeavor? And I think that's a very smart and wise way to go into business. I think it also applies to our decision process to close. In other words, we had to make a decision of, do we continue putting money into this? Is it just take, do we put another 50,000 in and spend that on marketing? And so that decision was hard as well, but that was part of it is looking at, all right, at this point, I couldn't tell you that we are going to successfully mitigate our losses here over another five years. Yeah. And I, I understand that emotional component because people ask me, so, oh, how are the yoga shops doing? I go, well, we had to close one, you know. Yeah. I'm like, oh, you know, they're sad, but I, I'm okay about it. I'm actually, thank goodness we had a number of years to prepare for this. But, you know, it's still sad for me, but I've, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it because I'm proud of what we did. And I would have rather have not lost the money either and lost the time, but, you know, I, I'm okay with it. So let's talk about staff a little bit more. You mentioned our manager, Judy, who has been a uh, integral part of the success that we have had this with this business. We would not have been able to do it without her. Again, as you spoke to, ours was much more of a manager model, manager-managed model. We were not there day-to-day. We had Judy and her staff to run the place. Talk a little bit more about the impact it had there, because as we've said, we are continuing to operate our first location, which is very successful. And so we had to balance that and consider that effect as well as on our brand and the hit that our brand is taking because we are continuing to operate at another location and we might expand in the future. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I think we took a little bit of a hit, but I don't think it's permanent. I think if we decide to grow again, we'll be fine. I don't know if people, we didn't have a big enough brand, which means I don't think we had enough stores to really develop, oh, that's I top it. I, I think some people knew that we were in both locations, but I don't think it was many people as we thought. So I don't know if the fact that one closed or the other one closed, you know, that one stayed open made a big difference on the overall brand. Um, I, and if we decide to continue growing, I think we'd be fine. Now, conversely, if we're, you know, a big brand that has hundreds of stores and you close two or three, I don't think you take a hit. Right. So speaking of Judy and our other staff, and we did have to let go a few people and we, we gave them as early a warning as possible and gave them a bit of severance to help with, uh, with that transition. Fortunately, uh, on the other side of it, most of our staff are young people who are going to recover from this. And this is often a part time job for them. So it's not as impactful. Uh, but Judy in particular took it hard because, as you said earlier, she took it personally. Yeah, she did. And that's what we love about Judy is she's in, she's vested in the business. She likes what she do. She believes in what we do and what our culture is and the whole concept of delivering remarkable customer service. And it was devastating for her. I know for a couple of weeks she was on the verge of tears and I'd look at her and say, how you doing? And she'd burst into tears and I go, you know, that's fine. We need to get through the process. But I kept communicating to her, this was not you. This was not something you did. This was not something the staff did. And we ought to be very proud about what we did. And the customers that we served loved what we did. And in that regard, we, we, we gave, you know, we, we, we gave to the world. We provided a service. We created great memories for people. But from a financial standpoint, it just didn't work. So we brought her in and informed her of the decision once it was definitive. Uh, of course, 
she had been kind of figuring out that something might have been going on. She knew the numbers. So we were, we've always been very transparent and made that part of the measure of how we're performing. So she had visibility of that and you just as well as we did that the numbers were not looking good at this second location. So what we did is we brought her in and let her know as early as possible, but not too early that it was going to create a bigger problem than we needed, right? Right, yeah. right. So we got to just start anticipating, and the reason why we wanted to do that was think about what did we need to do to close one shop and also take in consideration hiring. So she was pretty good about not hiring people during that period and so that she could transfer the majority of people from one store to the other. You know, we have pretty good turno- turnover, not high turnover, but you have typical retail food service turnover. So she was able to mitigate, you know, getting rid of people. She was able to mitigate that problem. Yeah. And then we put together a closing plan that she helped us execute. And so we put a process to that to make sure we covered everything. And we're still closing out some items on that. So, and we were fortunate, like you said, we were fortunate that we had another location, successful location that we were able to transfer some people to, including Judy. And we've opened up new opportunities for Judy and our other businesses. So that's all worked out well. And we're fortunate in that regard as well. Right, right. All right, so we'll start to wrap it up. But what else? I knew there was a, there was another book you had mentioned you wanted to speak to that, that was relevant to this topic. One of the best books I've read this year is Carol Dweck, Mindset. And this really talks about the concept of did you do your best, right? So how do you measure success? So you know, I'm st- I've been writing cycles for the last two or three years. And you know I know it's shocking to a lot of people, but I'm not the fastest guy out there. And most times I'm the slowest guy that's out there. And I can measure a particular bicycle ride, whether I was successful or not, by if I measure against people that ride better than me, I'm a failure. If I ride people, measure myself against people that are slower than me, and there's not many of them, I'm better than they are. So, you know, this whole idea of failure is really more of a mindset. And Carol Dweck really says, when it comes to training kids, do you Tell your kids they're smart, right, which puts them in a situation where now if, you know, it's more of a natural thing, they don't have to do any effort or do any work to get good grades. Or do you tell your kids, did you do your best? Did you work as hard as you can? And and just changing that mindset uh, with failure and, you know, taking out some of the the stigma of failure, the sting of failure, I think is an important process. And if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you have to master this. Because if you don't, you know, you're going to be making decisions based on fear. And many times that's not going to serve you or serve your customers. Yeah, I love that. And we will have, by the way, for our listeners, links to that book and all the other resources that we mentioned at our show notes page for this episode. You can find that at thehowofbusiness.com. But what you touched on there is not only just powerful for us, but it goes back to what I had spoken about those early childhood imprints. And I've been trying and I've tried to do that with my daughter, sometimes successfully, sometimes not, but that focus on effort as opposed to outcome. And it's such a shift in mindset. And I think it leads to why we are seeing a shift with younger people as to how they look at failure versus the way we were brought up in our generation. But this is at the heart of it, I believe. Right, right. And I agree. So, you got to change your stigma. You know, we had an employee work for us. I'll end with this, but we had an employee work for us that we had to let go at the yogurt shop. And she was a manager. And for some reason, the wheels were just falling off everything. She was forgetting things that she was supposed to be doing. And when we finally let her go, her statement to me, well, you know what? I've never really failed at anything in my life. And she was using that as kind of a badge of honor that she's been successful with everything she's ever done up to this point. And I kind of looked at it like, that's pretty sad because that tells me you've never really stretched yourself or took it or taken a risk. Uh, so those two things go hand in hand. If you're going to want to grow, if you're going to be successful, you're going to have to take a risk. And if you take a risk, I will guarantee you there will be times that you will not be successful. So you got to get the right mindset. Agreed. So one of the last questions, did we do our best? I think we did. I think we can always go back and say we could have done something differently. I think Anytime there's a loss, you're going to question whether you did everything you could. 
could we have done some more things? Maybe, maybe I could have been out there every day handing out samples uh, to people. You know, I, I question those things. Maybe I, well, what could I have done differently? And I come up with answers, but I feel good with what we've done. Yeah, sure, there's things we could have done differently, but for what we did, I feel good and I feel confident about that. And then really, that's the only thing that's getting me through this is I feel good about what we did. And so, yeah, there could have been more things we could have done, I think, but given given what was going on and where we were at and what we were doing, I think we did everything we probably could. I agree. All right, any last uh, thoughts on this topic for our listeners? No, we're going to go drink heavily this weekend and get over this and start again on next week. No, no. It's good. It's all good. Uh, you know, appreciate having a good partner with Henry. Uh, that makes a big difference because when partnerships go bad and things are going bad, then, uh, you know, you couldn't be in a worse situation. So I'm grateful to have a good partner like Henry uh, to work through this. And Henry and I are, you know, as good of friends as we were when we started. I appreciate that. And it certainly makes it easier to go through it with someone else than to deal with this by yourself. So if you are a, a, on on this journey by yourself and you have a failure, reach out for help, whether it's a mentor or somebody that you trust. Ideally, it's someone who understands the situation. When you go talk to your friends who are not in business for themselves, they're not going to quite relate. That doesn't mean you don't talk to those people. But if you're doing, if you're going through this by yourself, then seek seek some help, seek some input, uh, talk about it with other people. I think that's important. Absolutely, uh, because it just helps you with with putting it in proper perspective. So, thanks for bearing with us. Uh, this is a longer, a little longer episode than typical, but I thought it was just such an important topic. I do feel a little cathartic. I feel like I've gone through a therapy session, so it does it does help. Uh, and not to not to make it sound like we're just cavalier and flippant about a failure. Trust me, as we I think we have uh, put forth here, this hurts. We hate to fail. However, what we've gotten better and better at and we have to continue to learn from is that this is part of the process. If right. you are going to take risks and going into business is a matter of taking calculated and educated risks, there are going to be failures along the way. And you have to pick yourself up and keep moving forward and keep reaching for that ultimate dream that you have, which is the initial reason you became your own boss. Right. Well, folks, thanks for listening to this episode of The How of Business. If you're listening to us on iTunes, we would encourage and thank you for subscribing to our show. And we look forward to having you on the next episode of The How of Business. Thank you for listening to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez. We hope you found practical ideas to help you start, manage, and grow your business. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a comment on iTunes and go by LevanteBusinessGroup.com and learn more about Levante's resources to help you with your small business. Until next time, thanks for listening and go live your dream.